Hello and welcome back to the OmniTalk Fast Five, sponsored by Fast Sensor and Takeoff, where we cover the most important retail headlines for the week. It is August 14, 2020, and today we've got some really great headlines, quite possibly the best headlines we've ever had for this show. I am pretty geeked up as we are going to talk about Wayfair, Amazon, and the rumor it may be going into malls, Walmart, and Instacart, Cody and Gopuff and finish up with a discussion on Kroger and third-party marketplaces. I am joined, as always, by Anne Mazinga. That was maybe one of the biggest teases you've ever given in the history of the Omnitalk Fast Five, but hello, I'm ready. It was, yeah, I know. I tried something a little bit new today. Anne Mazinga looking, if you're watching on video, looking like Rachel Green, a la 1997 from Friends. Looking Thank good, you. as always. Thank you for that. Mm-hmm. And of course, Emma, the intern. Hi, everyone. What's going on? And, but I got to ask you, isn't this like the coolest set of topics we've ever had heading into a show? We never know how the show is going to go because it's always spontaneous as hell. Yeah. But like, this is pretty, this is a pretty cool list. Like, I'm geared up for it. You know why? Because look at what I, I got. You for those people listening, I, you know, when I got my first Panera Coffee subscription coffee last night at 8.54 p.m. <laughs> Did you really? What'd you get at 8.54 p.m.? I got this coffee so I could bring it and like actually do a test so that the people listening who heard me critique that whole coffee subscription program would know that I've actually given it a try after three attempts. So you got a coffee, put it in the fridge and then brought it back today? I sure did. did. I, on the way home from baseball last night, I was filling up my Costco gas tank and realized, oh my God, there's a Panera across the street. I should go get a coffee and have it ready for tomorrow. So I got a nice coffee. So did it work well? Like, what's the verdict now? What did it work well? It was an awful experience, but that's probably because it was close to 9 p.m. And I believe that's when they closed. So, uh, yeah. Because make coffee at 9 p.m. Yeah, I was also. But, um, but I went to go get gas and I put my order in for curbside pickup right before I went in to get gas and, uh waited outside for a good 15 20 minutes but called in matt the manager was like this is happening it's okay just here's your coffee and delivered it to me with a smile and i have to say the coffee is pretty good um still not gonna probably make it in my daily or weekly rotation but it it hasn't changed your habits yet speaking of changed habits yes Emma, you've got a new background there you're not in jersey anymore you're where are you are you on campus at the u no, I'm in my new apartment building in St. Paul. Oh, very near the U. Awesome. Now you're heading back to school here soon, right? Like that thing's kick. When is that thing kicking off? We first day of classes is September 8th. I mean, I still have no idea what I'm taking or if I have to show up, but you know, I'm excited for it anyway. Yeah, you know, mental dexterity is an important thing. You know, neuroplasticity. We talk about it all the time. So being a, being able to bend e- any which way you can. So that's probably a, a good challenge right now for every college going student out there. It'll prepare right, well, you for hey, life, Emma. It's great. Yeah, Flexibility. Right, right. You'll take it with you. You'll take it with you. That's what they say about the college years, right? All right. Well, hey, like I said, we've got an awesome show. I think we should get right into it. And to start, first, I'd like to tell you a little bit about our sponsors. So our sponsors are Fast Sensor. Fast Sensor is the first AI-powered platform that provides solutions for social distancing, contract tracing, and operational optimization, all tailored to fit your business. 
With FastSensor, you have the tools necessary to monitor safety, efficiency, and journeys across your organization. You can learn more by visiting FastSensor.com. And of course, Takeoff. Takeoff is transforming grocery by empowering grocers to thrive online. The key is micro-fulfillment, small robotic fulfillment centers that can be leveraged at a hyper-local scale. Takeoff also offers a robust software suite so grocers can seamlessly integrate the robotic solution into their existing businesses. To learn more, visit takeoff.com. I'm excited about our sponsors too. And the reason I'm excited to have them is I think they actually play very well and are quite germane with the headlines we have today, especially when you start talking fast sensors, fast sensor, excuse me, and malls of the future. And especially when you start looking at takeoff against the backdrop of, of Walmart and its new par- partnership with Instacart as well. So I'm sure we're going to hit on that. Huge thank you to them for supporting our work. But to get started, this one's for you, Gary Newberry, based on your feedback last week, we are going to talk Wayfair. So Anne, why don't you kick us off with the news around Wayfair this past week? Oh, yes, we are. Well, Wayfair announced this past week that they are turning a profit for the very first time since going public in 2014. The company six years, you know. Oh, hey. yeah. Hey, hey. Sometimes things take a little time. They take a little time. Uh, little the bit. company posted a $274 million profit, which is an 84% jump in sales for a total profit of four points. Sorry, total sales of four point three billion dollars. Now Wayfair CEO Naraj Shah said that he predicted that they'd reach profitability at some point in 2021, but obviously the massive shift in consumer spending online and in particular consumer spending to outfit their homes during the pandemic has increased that timeline. Chris, I know that you have a couple of opinions about this. What do you think? I do. I have a ton of opinions on this. Uh, and Wafer, Wafer is always kind of a, a, a love-hate relationship, you know, between them and myself. But like, you know, at the end of the day, I think I tip the scale, the balance of, man, still a great company. Nerd Shot does an awesome job running this as a CEO year in and year out. I think before I get my thoughts, so I'm curious because Emma was actually, you know, one of the big mindset shifts, right? There's always a home furnishings is always dictated by mind shifts, mindset shifts, right? Like going to college, getting married, having your first kid, all of that. Emma, you're right in the middle of that. You just moved back from Jersey. You just had to outfit a new house, new apartment, excuse me. Like was Wayfair part of this algebra for you, the calculus? Like where were they in in this whole uh, event in your life? It's actually really interesting because I've always loved Wayfair. Like I'll shop for anything online. But what I found was I started at Wayfair.com for all of the things that I needed because my room, old roommate was one who had like everything that you need in an apartment. So I've had to get everything. But I found really where I ended up buying things was Amazon and Target. Like mm-hmm. Amazon had better prices. Target is the most convenient for me because I can just drive up and have it put in my car. But I found that like the Wayfair shipping times just were not fast enough. And I, I mean, I'm super glad that it's successful for them. But yeah, it was, I tried so hard to use them, but ended up not. So that's interesting. So actually Target, Target's accessibility by way of its store for that type of furniture purpose was still very valuable. Running the category, that was something I always said, like Target could become the most accessible furniture retailer basically in the country if they wanted to based on its legacy with design too. So that's interesting to hear, but totally another topic, but I think something important to think about. Yeah, that, I think that's fascinating. I'm curious, too, were you were you interacting with Wayfair, showing up on their site? Were you more like kind of hitting and landing on Amazon or Target based on search and looking for specific things? How did that work for you? Because I think it's important within 
you know, understanding what Wayfair is? I started at Wayfair's website with okay. the goal of buying from Wayfair because I never had before. And I really wanted to do, I like, I wanted to help them out. And then I kind of ended up seeing, I was curious. I was like, okay, that's not going to get here for a week. Can I get it today at Target or tomorrow from Amazon? And that's kind of where I went from there. Got it. I love so that's the where philanthropy you for a major retailer, Emma. That's very kind of yeah. you. <laughs> She's trying to help them out. Yeah. Yes. A, 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 a retailer that, what'd you say, sold $4 billion last quarter. Yeah. yeah she's helping them out. No, I think that's really cool. I mean, I think, you know, and it's, the reason I was asking too is Wayfair, you know, over the past few years since 2014 has gotten a lot of crap for how much money it's spent on search engine marketing. Um, but in reality, like you're one of their customers that's continuing to go back and actually, like you said, try to help them out. I don't know. And my, here's my quick take. I think, I, I think this is cool. Say what you will about the stock price, which seems like incredibly jacked up right now. I think the market cap is some ridiculous number, but like, there's still a lot to love about Wafer in my opinion. I think from a brand perspective, I don't think a lot of people are like Emma, like it, it, for me, it might enter my first, you know, that kind of first realm of I'll go there and check it out, not just rely on search to find what I'm looking for. I think for the greater population of America, the brand awareness is still really low. So there's only a place, there's nowhere to go but up and that more people do what Emma's going to do. But then the other part is what we, what we said about Target is Wayfair does not have stores at this point in time. And I think that's a huge opportunity. What is the one thing a huge market cap and a huge stock price affords you the ability to do it? It affords you to invest capital in building out stores. And who knows what that concept could be? You know, is it a mall-based concept like they've tried? Is it something that goes after Ikea, but in a smaller square footage? Is it some suburban type concept that they can put next to, which I'll get to my next point, home improvement centers? All of that is still for the taking. And there is a point that we're seeing, and Emma, you just said, where how you get the furniture in those lifestyle moments still matters. Shipping isn't always what you want because like, hey, you're moving an apartment, you want that stuff that day. You want to get that task done and off your plate. We've all been there. And it makes sense. So that's still an unexplored opportunity. And Christ, 80, you know, 70, 80% of the volume in home furnishings is still happening through that channel. You just said $4 billion and in a quarter. They haven't even tapped into that channel yet. That's mm-hmm. insane when you start doing the math on what that potential is. And then lastly, the thing I talked about in the Robin Report article was there's still a lot of unexplored partnerships to down the line long-term that these guys could do with a home, like somebody like a Home Depot or a Lowe's across those strip malls where they're working together to make all of that happen. And one plus one could possibly even equal three. So that's my take on Wayfair. I know they've taken a lot of arrows in their back over the last few years, but I still think there's a lot of promise in that company. I think they're a very well-run company too. I'm just going to eat crow because it's apparently they didn't need white day. And I was all over that back in July. <laughs> Oh, that's right. I forgot about that. You were like, they need to do what they still have that as upside too, right? Right. They, wow, yeah, they did that they haven't well. Even, haven't even done that. But yeah, I mean, wow. it's, it's smart after. I mean, if you have yeah. this increase in buying, especially with the pandemic, you probably don't need to discount your products anymore. But I don't know. And they probably don't have to go back to it anymore either. They right. don't have the anniversary anymore either. That's right. fascinating. Or maybe they right. will once they have the anniversary of this pandemic. It's all right. Yeah, Not the right? first time I felt shame this week. So it's fine. We'll just keep going. Yeah, no, I bet not. No. <laughs> <laughs> or we won't go time. into that. Not detail. the first time or the last time, right? All Never. right. <laughs> Never. I'll All right. be flexible, Emma. It's the motto for life right now. That's what we're doing. Speaking of shame, I, I know I know my partner in crime and has a lot of thoughts to share on this one. But the next headline 
This has been in the news a lot lately. Actually, did a, a hit on Fox Five New York earlier this week sure on did. this topic. Uh, but Amazon and Simon are looking to turn old Sears and J.C. Penney stores into f- into fulfillment centers. So yes, Simon Property Group is reportedly this is according to the Wall Street Journal exploring a deal with Amazon to turn those sites into Amazon distribution hubs. Now, there's been a lot of chatter on social media and a lot of people against this. I, I probably have seen more people against this idea I know. Than for it. And where do you come down? So I think it's an important point of clarification because earlier when the whole uh, Amazon buying the JCPenney boxes right. came out, I was obviously for the off-mall uh, purchases versus the in-mall purchases first of of the anchor spaces. I was like, let's go for Kohl's, not JCPenney. But uh, through the course of many conversations that you and I have had together, Chris, I think there's still validity in the possibility of Amazon purchasing one of these anchor spaces. And while I know there's a ton of hurdles, you can't discount, you know, the zoning that will have to change and some pretty significant changes to leasing agreements for the rest of the tenants in the mall. We heard a ton of chatter on that about uh, over social this week about how the rest of the mall tenants are never going to go for this. If anybody is going to change the way that we're thinking about traditional mall operations, about traditional street level retail, about making some actual change in how we're we're using our spaces that currently exist, Amazon is the one that can do that. They can get over the hurdles. And I think that if anything good comes of this, even if it's a rumor and it never happens, if anything good comes of it, it's that people are starting to listen and pay attention and realize they can't be set in their old ways of doing things. It's not rinse and repeat, fill the store, fill it with a grocery store, fill it with a fitness center, fill it with another anchor tenant, split up the, the space so that one floor is something and another floor is something else. We have to start thinking differently about this. And so I, I as, as angry so like as it move. makes me to hear this, the people against it, I think that it's a great move overall for, for where the, the retail and mall industry is headed. Yeah. I mean, there's some people on social media saying, if you're for this, you don't understand mall shopping at all. And I just want to say, okay, really call me up. Let's debate this because, yeah. and a lot of, and some of the arguments put forward are, it'll kill traffic to the malls like that consumers don't want a fulfillment center at their mall. So I'm curious, I'm going to, before I answer my, or give my thoughts on that, Emma, do you buy that argument? I don't want a fulfillment center at a mall. If I'm going to go shop there, what do you think of that whole argument? No, because like, I think there's at the mall closest to my house in New York, you know, there's a Sears in it. That's just been empty for years and it's ugly. Like right. if you turned it into a fulfillment center, maybe it's not any prettier, but at least it's getting used for something. It's not like a sad, open, depressing space. A hundred percent agree. I, yeah, no, I, the way I, the way I would cap, uh, encapsulate what you just said, you know, what makes me not want to shop at a mall. And I deliberately chose this retailer because it's not around anymore. A Herbergers. That's what makes me not want to go to a mall anymore. Put an Amazon warehouse in there. Sure. It's in one part of the mall. Who gives a crap? I'm sure it'll look good. All those Amazon vans parked outside of it. In fact, I think that's kind of sexy from a merchandising perspective. Oh, look, something new and different is happening here. Oh, and by the way, this is the part that really pisses me off in the arguments where they talk about the tenants. I don't really care what the current tenants think about because quite honestly, the current tenants haven't figured out what the omni-channel needs are that they need to survive. There's going to be a lot of new entrants there. And by the way, what do many of them do already? 
Well, they sell their stuff on Amazon. They sell their stuff on the virtual mall that is Amazon. So why as a up and coming brand, would I not say, okay, Amazon, sure. You want to take a cut? I don't care. Give me the operational technologies to run my bricks and mortar operation, a la Amazon Go, a la GH Lab, like we've talked about a thousand times. Oh, and by the way, I'll just you know co-opt my fulfillment with you out of the center with a bunch of other brands in the center to save money and get economies of scale so I can get my products and my unique brand to those customers at the end of the day. It just makes a ton of sense. So I don't understand what any of the arguments are against this. It 100% makes sense to rejuvenate a mall for the long term. And I don't think it's one or the other. I think that's the other problem right. here. It's not just a fulfillment center. Like if that's the stepping stone to get to something better where, you know, you've talked about, Chris, where Amazon is the mall and they it's a mall of different, like the marketplace brought into a physical location. But I think that it could be a hybrid model. You could have a GH lab front to this fulfillment center and the whole DC part in the back. Like I just there it's not it doesn't have to be one way that we see the fulfillment centers out in the in the burbs where it's this giant warehouse. That's not the only thing. There's still a value to being close to and having the proximity to all those rooftops in a different way for me to be able to, like Emma said, if I do want to order something on Amazon, be able to go pick it up that day from the warehouse. That's 30 minutes from my house. And, and I mean, there's, there's so much value to their locations in those areas and Amazon, it's not huge semis coming through every single day, delivering product. They've got, you know, smaller vans that are tooling around your neighborhood. You give opportunities for other autonomous vehicles to start going around to the local surrounding neighborhoods. I mean, it's, it's progressive, but it's the right way to start thinking for everybody, I think. Yeah, and I, I think the point there too is like, even if it's just fulfillment, which is what you were just encapsulating at the very end of what you're saying, that is still great. Like there is still so many inroads to explore, even if it's just that. And that's just in the short term. When you start thinking in the long term, there's so, so much more. So again, I, could, I don't think in general, the three of us could be more in favor of this. And hey, we're out there. If you want to debate it, come find us because we will be vocal <laughs> as hell on social media about this and we'll continue to be. And I for sure hope hope it happens. There's a lot of rumors with Amazon. You never know exactly, you never know for sure exactly which ones are gonna happen, but this is one I hope comes to fruition. All right, Emma. All right. So Walmart and Instacart are partnering for same day US delivery. And this partnership is currently in a pilot phase in four markets across California and in Oklahoma. I think this is awesome because <laughs> well I've never had a reason to actually like go do an order pickup from Walmart because I just always do Target. But in terms of like grocery retailers, Walmart, I think has the superior grocery selection. So, and I, but I hate going into Walmart because unless it's like a newly remodeled Walmart, it's like, it's not a fun experience. So I would definitely be a user of Walmart via Instacart delivering it to my door just because their grocery selection is so much better than say Target or pretty much anyone else. Interesting. So it's bringing in a new customer for them. And and, I, and just to remind everyone too, you're more of an East Coast. You grew up on the East Coast too, where Walmart isn't as prevalent. So, you know, your interaction with them is not like it would be say typically somewhere else. And what do you think? Oh man, I think this is like danger. Will Robinson. Pandora's because, box. Yeah. Um, one, 
what happened to Walmart Plus that was supposed to be doing same-day delivery or, or like Prime-like delivery? Right. Great uh, question. Yeah, it's a great question. That just kind of got pushed back again a couple mm. weeks ago. Yeah. And two, you're really going to open yourself up to Instacart. So we talked about Dashmart last week with DoorDash. Yep. Like all of these, all of these delivery solutions who are you know, having their own warehouses. Now you're giving Instacart Walmart data. You're giving Instacart several other large retailers data. And really, I think this is setting up Instacart, even with a pilot, to have access to purchasing behaviors of customers of the largest retailer, one of the largest retailers in the country. So I'm very curious about what's uh, happening here. If they just needed to get to delivery or needed to start to learn from this pilot and then they're going to crash it and then revamp and fix up the whole like, you know, Walmart plus initiative that they have going on. But um, yeah, I don't know. I'm, I don't know what's going on here, but something doesn't smell right. Yeah, I don't get this. I mean, I've been on the Walmart bandwagon here for the last few months. Um, actually made them the number one retail in our power rankings recently that we did. But like, I don't, this one doesn't make sense. I think the one thing I'll say is that the test is still small in scope. So I yes. think that's good. They're dipping their toe into it. But to your point, you look at the, and you're, you're, to your point, you look at the history of what Walmart's done. They've tried a number of different experiments with third-party delivery providers. My personal opinion is that's a road to nowhere. Um, you know, I mentioned takeoff in the beginning, but you know, takeoff, whether it's takeoff or any of the other micro fulfillment solutions providers, the reason those exist is because the economics of third-party picking and the long-term tenability of third-party picking don't work. I mean, if you think about it, it's an expensive way to do the picking. You're hiring somebody to come in. Yep. Uh, it's complicated from an operational perspective. And then as online uh, grocery starts to dominate more and more, then you start getting a lot of pickers in your store. And that's not good from a customer experience perspective. So I'm not really sure you know, where the end road is for that or how long it's going to take to get to that point where it becomes a problem. But at the end of the day, it's still a road to nowhere. And so the really the only, to me, the only really viable solution that people need to be looking at here is some type of onsite. We we're just talking about it with Walmart quite, or with Amazon, quite frankly, is some sort of automated picking and packing onsite or co-located very close to the actual grocery site itself. And doing all that picking and packing yourself and then getting the orders ready for pickup, whether it's by customers or whether it's delivery drivers, it doesn't matter. But that's where solutions like, like delivery solutions, for example, where they're just software platforms that allow you to coordinate the delivery with whomever you want. And then they can just basically, you don't really care. They're just fighting for, you're just fighting for whatever best cost you can get with them because that service is generally the same, whether it's DoorDash, Instacart, Blob, Ship, Blah, 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 de Blah, de Blah, Blah, you don't really care, right? I mean, as the consumer, you don't really care. It's yeah. just the getting it to wherever that pickup point is to the customer that matters most. That's where Walmart needs to go. So I'm surprised they're doing this. I'm surprised we haven't seen them in this age of COVID go at, they started doing micro fulfillment with alert innovation. They haven't done anything else around that space. That's the answer. And yet they continue to focus all these pilots on things like this, which I'm with you, Ann. I don't get it. It doesn't make any sense. I don't know. Any, any other thoughts there? I think we're three for three on rants this morning. So, I mean, oh, I'm hyped. We got to go. We might have to go to story number four because if you can go on a rant about story number four, we don't know each other very oh. well. And I'm very concerned. Oh, I can for sure go on a rant about story number four. Let's do it. And I mean, because that's why I said I think this is the single best day of topics that we've ever had in terms of understanding the future of retail. So, anyway, for number sure. four. Okay. Number four is that. Cody 
C-O-T-Y, has decided to go all in with GoPuff to provide 30-minute delivery of CoverGirl, Rimmel, and Sally Hansen products. So Cody piloted this offering back in July with GoPuff, and GoPuff saw orders in the beauty category increase 200% just in the pilot alone. So Cody's offering 25... like one. (laughs) true the beauty category category was very small (laughs) like shampoo conditioner whatever but yeah uh anyway so cody's offering 25 of their best-selling products um and most of those are easy repeat purchases like mascara and nail polish um GoPuff, for those of you who aren't familiar, they started as a grocery, alcohol, and snack delivery community focused on university communities. And today they are in 500 cities and they offer 2,500 plus products uh, to their core demographic of 25 to 35-year-olds. It's a big deal. Emma, what do you think? I don't, I can't imagine a scenario where I need one of these products in 30 minutes. Yeah, me neither. Like, for me, like makeup, I feel like these makeup products, like you know when you're out of them and you can just like order them for delivery a few days in advance. Like I just cannot imagine, especially now, a time when you need your mascara delivered in 30 minutes. Yeah, and what do you think? I mean, you're you're kind of, what do you, is this, is, is, is the, I mean, GoPuff's all about convenience, right? That's where they're, like you yes. said, it's like get it quick. It's all convenience store items, basically. I mean, the convenience store industry has been watching these guys really closely. Is that part of this? Tr- is is the beauty segment part of that psychology? Like, or, or is it more like what Emma said? What? How do you how do you shop for this? It's you not know, my category, so I don't know. It's not now, but I think that again, going back to when we were talking about Dash Mart last week, if I have a Dash Mart subscription or I have a GoPuff subscription, which by the way is only five dollars a month to have GoPuff free delivery every month. If I have one of those subscriptions, I think your spending patterns and where you're going to get some of those products is going to change. Now, how often are you having a mascara emergency? Not that often, but I think you start to look at some of these products like um, mascara, foundation, some of these things that I'm buying the same exact thing time and time and time again. And yes, there are times where my three-year-old has thrown my mascara in the toilet and I'm about to go do a podcast. And yes, you might need that product. And if I can get it in 30 minutes, plus I don't have to go put my kids in the car and go to the store. And you know, I can also get some cereal and milk and some other staples while I'm at it. Saving me that Target trip, that Walmart trip, that CVS trip, I think this is pretty valuable. I think this is an industry where we need to start paying attention. Now, is it's not a surprise that these retailers are, you know, go, or sorry, that Cody specifically is going after this as another retail outlet when makeup sales are down because of the pandemic. People are staying at home. Um, so, and I think the category, it was like 13 to 23% decrease in spend um, in this category at like the targets, the CVSs of the world. So I think this makes a lot of sense. You get delivery of the product in 30 minutes. And the final thing I'll say is that you think about the sustainability of something like this. One, you don't have another trip. So if I do want mascara, somebody's not going to from, you know, wherever they are, to a Target or Walmart and then to my house. They're not, I'm not ordering that from Amazon and having mascara shipped across the country in a cardboard box that comes to my house. It's, you know, delivered locally to me in 30 minutes or less. I think there's some other 
reasons to go this route and to really start to, you know, as the the product list right now, it's 2,500 products. Uh, DoorDash is 2,000 products. Like as these categories expand, I think that there's more opportunity to direct your purchases for some of those essentials to these convenience plays. Yeah. Okay. I think, wow. I think this is, I'm going to put the sustainability stuff aside. I think that's, I'm not sure I agree there, but like, I think that's kind of a different and separate point too. I think the point about the convenience segment, I think this is definitely to your point, this is definitely a space that has to be watched. I mean, you can tell the heat is coming here Mm -hmm. and the Kroger store that we're going to do next, I think shows that even more. It's where are the American consumers going to go for convenience when they want to think about that experience digitally? That's why I love today's podcast because I think everything is showing that front and center? Is it Walmart via Instacart? Is it going to be Kroger as we talked about? That is there. But I'm more, with, I'm more on Emma's camp than in Emma's camp than I am with you, Anne. Like, I think there's a different psychology here, which actually tells me that like there's a white space, which is like, okay, if I want to do beauty online and I need it quickly, or I just even want to engage with it that way, where do I go? You know, do I go direct to the brands? Well, probably not. And it's going to take Cody a long time or anyone else to figure out how to stand all that stuff up. But my better question is why go through GoPuff? Why can't there be like a consortium of different beauty brands that are basically approximating what Cody is doing, but doing it for their industry. And to your point, and they hook you with that subscription, but they create that model and that's your place to go instead of allowing some other kind of off kiltered experience for where you want to be in your mind as a consumer to make that happen for you. That's the type of activity I would love to see happen more in beauty and across all kinds of different categories where I think by expanding people's mindsets around who can I form partners with and create these online platforms to talk to consumers in that way, there's an untapped opportunity there. Emma, what do you think of that? I definitely agree with that. And I think Anne does have a point in that, like you can order other things than your cosmetics when you do a GoPuff order. But I definitely, and then to your point, if I'm looking for cosmetics, like I go to Sephora, like that's my, I am loyal to that. I know it's going to like, it just has so much more information, I think, and is a better like customer experience or user experience when you're at Sephora's website than GoPuff. Yeah. And I think the point I was trying to make too, that I didn't articulate very well too, is I think then that experience gets tailored. If you do something like that, you know, in that white space, the tailor gets this experience, excuse me, gets tailored specifically to how you shop for cosmetics. Whereas GoPuff is going to be tailored to really what the bread and butter is, which is probably how do you shop for convenience items. And those are two really different things when you think about how online. Kind of work. you guys, I think you're dismissing the, I, I still think you're dismissing the, the target trip and the Walmart trip for these particular brands, not the Sephora brands. I'm talking about the cover girl, the Maybelline. I, yeah. I'm actually, I'm actually not dismissing it at all. And I think that's the point I actually wanted to make, which I think it's a great segue, which is I don't, if I'm a brand like a Cody, I don't know that I'm investing with GoPuff on that because I think this next story and what we said with Walmart shows that when you're in that mindset, when you want to bulk, bulk your purchases together, or you, that's the basket you're in the mood for, then you're going to go somewhere else. And that might be where you're going to traditional groceries. So that's why Kroger's announcements to close is really interesting this week as well. So Kroger according to Grocery Dive this week, announced Endless Isle, a new Endless Isle strategy with the uh, creation of a new marketplace. So Kroger has plans to expand its ship-to-home capabilities through a new marketplace strategy in which it says it will source over 50,000 products from third-party sellers. 
And basically everything will work the same as it does now where everything will ship on according to standard shipping fees, which are now for, I think, uh, is free over $35. And of course you get your loyalty rewards program. So basically what Kroger do, is doing is expanding its assortment through a third party marketplace and third party relationships with different vendors throughout the country. And so you've got Walmart does this already. Amazon does this already. There's been rumors about Target doing similar things like this. So, you know, in the context of everything we just said, where does Kroger and grocery get placed within that discussion? And why don't you start? Yeah, I mean, I think I, I get what your your point is here. I think that everybody's going to start getting into this place where they're trying to, like, like they always have been, trying to capture the greatest share of basket that they can. They want you to spend the most money with each of these individuals. Now, for the Kroger example, I mean, I think that one of the areas of focus that they're talking about is really in the natural goods space. Um, and like you've said before, back when we were when we were talking about Walmart's, you know, marketplace and partnership with ThreadUp, you now have people searching for coconut milk or these other like brands or types of things, and now they'll they'll get a Kroger product, especially in areas where Kroger stores don't exist yet. So I think that there's some value here to, you know, having Kroger show up and getting exposure to new companies where they wouldn't have before, and then being able to offer, you know, whatever the the key product is that you're the best provider of coconut milk, but then also their own brands right alongside that for a, a less expensive price in most cases. Um, if I were you know, to be concerned about this move, I think it's less a concern for me if I'm Amazon and more a concern for me if I'm like a Thrive Market or some kind of subscription service that has been like the go-to for some of these um, natural and organics products as that starts to become more and more available um, from a grocer that you might already be going to. Yeah. Emma, what do you think? I like it a lot. I mean, we all you know, do. I love, I love Kroger, even though I haven't been to one in years, but I think well, if they put a Kroji on it. You're going to love it regardless of what it is. <laughs> exactly. Put a Kroji on I it. I definitely think <laughs> I agree with Anna that like the concern is definitely not with Amazon, but something like Thrive Market, which I've browsed. I've never actually purchased from them or done a subscription, but if they can incorporate more of those kind of natural goods and products like that, it might be something that I would consider ordering from. Yeah, it gives you more access to more products. It's interesting. This one, I got to, I'm split on this one, you guys. I don't know, I don't know which way I come down on it. I need more time to think about it. Uh, at first I was like, yeah, okay, great move by Kroger. But then I got thinking about it and there's, there's, a, few, there's a few dynamics I don't like. And quite frankly, there's three. I think number one, marketplaces are a different muscle for retailers. Like third-party marketplaces work differently than I'm procuring the goods and I'm selling them online. In reality, it's almost like a sales relationship. So that's the point number two, like, it requires a different skill set in terms of vendor management. Like you're actually going and selling the brands to come on your website. Like you have to say, right. this is right for you. Come here versus like you're buying the brands to then sell on the website. It's a different relationship. It's also a different, like as part of number one, two, it's a different skill set. Like selling products digitally, you know, is Kroger been great at that? Not necessarily. So they're going to have to learn to do that. They're going to have to invest a lot to do that. So all that, those one and two, I think it just gets really expensive. The third part is it can become a very, and I think Amazon hasn't seen this yet. And I think this is going to be kind of one of, over the next decade, something that we start to see play out in grocery. If you have a third party marketplace, what does that mean for your physical experience? So for example, like taking Amazon, 
I'm a Kroger. Well, okay. I have a brand represented in my store. I also have that brand represented by a third party seller online. What are the prices of those two options? And how do I think about that, right? As a retailer, that's a very disjointed experience for the consumer. And I don't think we necessarily know the answers for that. The interesting thing about Kroger too, in the context of that discussion is if you, if Kroger starts doing this, you have to remember Kroger's legacy is stores. Well, now you have all of these options that they can procure from third-party manufacturers who may or may not be very smart about price and customers might start gravitating towards that over time. It's already a more expensive way to fulfill. And then if you're also getting hit on the margin side of price, that could be a traffic problem in the long run too. So I don't know that I necessarily love the answers for this uh, to this relative to what we've talked about before, which is why are people coming to stores and you love the new Kroger design? I know that's a problem with, with COVID right now, but you know, continue to fortify. Why do people come to stores and then figuring out how to get the operational efficiencies of scale? Like we've talked about with micro warehousing and other concepts like to that degree. So I can see why people are going here because it's kind of the sexy new thing, but I don't know if in the grocery space, I would be rushing towards this right now. I don't know. Final thoughts on that. Well, yeah. I mean, one thing we didn't talk about is that they're getting into other categories they mentioned too, which it seems like quite a stretch for me. Yeah, Yeah. Like, so where exactly are you trying to go? Like if you're trying to bring that in, in under your umbrella, which I don't think is a, is a bad idea. Like hy is doing this with DSW and really, you know, thinking about is grocery going to be at the core of like where, where the future like department store kind of model is headed. Um, it, it seems like Kroger would maybe bring these in, do try partnerships in their stores first. I don't know, but yeah, I think you bring up some good price to your point. Right. Like yeah, I, it just, it doesn't make a lot of sense there and they're, they're a smart company. They're innovative. So I, I think it's probably more along the lines of what you said, Chris, like we got to try this out in some capacity. So what does this look like? But I wouldn't be surprised if this is something that doesn't see much more beyond this year. The next That's interesting. Of- yeah. It's a tough thing to go slow on too. Like it's one of those things you almost have to commit to, to do it right. So that's, what's hard totally. about it. And that can be really expensive, but as you're talking and like, it makes me think more about like prior to COVID again, like the strategies that the Burlington's and the TGX's were saying, which is like, this is what we do. Let's focus on what we do versus getting distracted. Excuse me by this whole marketplace idea. Emma, any yeah. last thoughts? No, I think you guys bring up really good points. Yeah, it's interesting. It's fascinating. But I don't know. I think if you look back at the five stories we had today and you tick them down by one by one, they all ladder together really well. And I, quite frankly, I don't think we've had a better group of five stories. I think after that discussion, I think it, it turned out to be that way. Whew. I don't think I need any more coffee. What do you guys think? I don't think so either. I think you're doing you're doing pretty good there, Chris. I'm a little worried about you, but it's all a right. A little bit worried? Yeah, I think I need to get some thoughts down on paper, but... It was a fun show today, and uh, thanks for everyone listening. Thanks for sticking with us. Remember, if you haven't already, please remember to like, review, and subscribe to our podcast, wherever you happen to listen to your podcast. And, of course, you can also subscribe to our weekly Fast Five via YouTube if you like seeing the video version as well. It's coming to the close of the summer here in Minneapolis. Hopefully, we'll all get outside. We're all back in Minneapolis. Anna Emma's about to start school here soon. On behalf of Anne and Emma and Rachel Green, be careful out there.